You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, if you can open with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and just let me say, uh, Brother Frank, thank you so much for that special. I, I love, not only do I love hearing that chorus, but even greater than that, singing that chorus. Um, he is Lord, and just uh, what an amazing reminder that is. Welcome to week 7 of a series that has us walking through the Apostles' Creed, the oldest of the Christian creeds. And as we've stated from the very beginning of this series, we are not preaching the creed. Instead, we are using the creed um, to point us to proclaim the Word of God, to point us to the Word of God. As we said, creeds have no authority in and of themselves, but they appoint us to what does have authority, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sun. The creed is the moon, just reflecting that and this morning we come to the phrase, He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. And just, just think about that. The ascension of Christ into heaven is a story of a human body moving to heaven. It's not an escape um, from the body. Instead, it's the entry of humanity into heaven. It's humanity entering into the sphere of God through Christ. Um, the ascension reminds us that Christianity is not just a historical faith. The ascension reminds us that Christianity, or that this picture, is not just historical, not just past, but it's, it's present and it's future, and it gives us something to look forward to. In fact, Christ, right this moment, and glorified humanity is on the throne of the universe, exercising as the God-Man all authority in heaven and on earth so just think about that reality and then think about this have you ever looked at maybe the the sky by day or the stars at night and found yourself wondering where heaven is and just beginning to think about that I know physicists tell us that um, in this universe of revolving galaxies and nebula and quasars and um, electrons and um, alpha particles and all of these things that we have even more than that is more than can meet the eye, more than we could ever see. Yet, in the midst of that, the question becomes, where is heaven? Where does the Lord Almighty enthroned above the heavens, where does he dwell? Where did Christ ascend when his disciples watched him disappear behind the cloud? And, of course, we cannot say exactly where heaven is, but Scripture does tell us, or Scripture often, often pictures People ascending up into heaven. We see Elijah ascended up. Jesus ascended up. Or think about those who came down. Angels in the dream of Jacob. They were coming down from heaven. So kind of we are justified in thinking that heaven is somewhere above the earth. Above the, the heavens that we can see. Um, above that. There's a story that has been told about the, the first Russian cosmonaut to successfully get into space during the 1960s. And it is said that when he got there, and we know, not just said, when he got there and finished gazing at the wonder of the blue planet, he radioed down back to earth, and here was his remark. I've arrived, and guess what? There's no God up here. Just think about that declaration. He saw no angels. He saw no gold mansions. He saw no God. He saw no Jesus. And, of course, the answer is obvious. Uh, the cosmonaut had ascended to the place of the stars, but had not, as Christ did, ascended to the dwelling place of God. Um, so kind of missed that. If that was his aim, he missed it tremendously. But think about this. It's sad that 
when we take into account the fact that, that for many Christians and for many churches, Jesus' ascension is kind of an afterthought when it comes to Good Friday, when it comes to, to Easter, meaning a ton has been written and preached concerning the death and resurrection of Christ, and um, of course, rightly so, yet the, the piece that we often um, or rarely talk about, I, th I think about, I've never really preached a true message just on the ascension of, of Christ. We don't talk about it a lot, and I think it's to our own detriment that we don't talk about it um, enough. In the words of Pastor Tim Keller, he says, Actually, the ascension makes an enormous difference. The ascension, when understood, becomes an irreplaceable, important resource for living our lives in the world. And it's a resource no other religion or philosophy of life holds out to us. So no other religion, no other philosophy holds out to us a picture of the ascension. Just follow with me here. If Jesus had wanted to, he could merely have returned to the Father and just vanished. I mean, he did that with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He just vanished from them. So Jesus could have, have done that, but that's not what he did. Instead, he chose to literally, um, in the presence of his disciples, in a bodily form, rise up into heaven as they were watching. He wanted them to see what was happening. He wanted them to see him literally being taken up and what we know and what we want to unpack this morning is that there was a purpose to it. There was a reason for it. And think about it. If we just continue on, the, the ascension of Christ is so important that Luke chose to write about it twice. First in the Gospel of Luke and then again at the beginning of, of the, the book of Acts. So what we're going to do again this morning with amazing conviction is we're going to stand and we're going to recite the creed together. And then we're going to let that creed point us always to the authority of the Word of God. So if you can stand, we're going to read and recite the creed together, and then we're going to uh, open up the Bibles and read Acts chapter 1 together. So if you can join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now if we can look at Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together, and it says this, Luke writing, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this day rejoicing God and promise that we have what we just read Jesus we thank you that you have ascended to the right hand of the father that you have set down and we thank you Lord for your current work for us we just pray that you would help us to see the the full picture today to leave here God just rejoicing in that God what we know that you're doing through your son right now for us Lord just speak to your people father we pray God if there's anything, any hindrance right now that might prevent us from hearing your word, responding to your word, we pray, God, right now that you would remove that from us, that we can focus solely on you and you alone. Or speak, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So just think about what we just read of all the reunion stories in the world, there has never been a sweeter reunion story in the history of the world than Jesus' return to his Father. Yet before we dive into the main truths today of what we're going to kind of unpack together, there's something I want to flesh out from what we just read. And what I want us to see is this. I want us to understand that the book of Acts, what we come to this morning, is a continuing book. It's a continuation of what Luke wrote in the Gospel of Luke. So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is showing us the mission of, of Jesus, um, culminated in Jesus paying the full price for our sin at the cross and then rising again. And then what the book of Acts does is it highlights Jesus' work um, in building his church. So think about this. It's one thing to lay a foundation. That's what Luke, the Gospel of Luke shows us. It's another thing to build a house. That's what the book of Acts shows us. So the work of laying the foundation must be finished before you begin to build the house. So you can't build the house if the foundation isn't finished. So what we know is the former laying the foundation is the work that Christ finished on this earth through the cross and the resurrection. The latter is the work that is continuous throughout the ages, Christ building his church. He's still doing it um, today. You think about this. The book of Acts is about Christ building his church. Yet nine verses in and Christ is gone. So think about this. The book of Acts, Christ building his church. Nine verses in, he's gone. So what does that mean? What does it mean for the church? How would the church be built? And get, get this. The church would be built through the continuing work of Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, of course. But here's what I want you to see. In the book of Acts, every time we get to the phrase or hear the phrase, the Lord, it is referencing Jesus. So every verse that we read after verse 9, after Jesus um, is gone into heaven, 
is speaking of Jesus. So think about this. According to Acts 1.24, it was Jesus who chose Matthias to replace Judas as a disciple. According to Acts 2.32 and 34, it was Jesus who poured out the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. According to Acts 2.47, it was Jesus who added to the church daily those who were being saved. According to Acts 3.7, it was Jesus who healed the lame man. Yet he, he used the hand of Peter, but it was the power of Jesus. According to Acts 9, 5, it was Jesus who confronted and called Paul on the road to Damascus. According to Acts 16, or Acts 9, 34, excuse me, or Acts 9, 11, and 12, it was Jesus who um, spoke to Ananias. And in Acts 9, 34, it was Jesus who healed Ananias. In Acts 16, 14, Jesus opened the heart of Lydia. In Acts 18, 9, and 10, Jesus said he was working in Corinth. And in Acts 23, 11, Jesus stood before Paul and said, you will make it to Rome. Jesus is working all the way through the book of Acts, through the Holy Spirit, even though Jesus had already ascended to heaven. And what it shows us is this, brothers and sisters, Jesus was and is at work. He's at work. He's at work in us. He's at work for us. He's at work through us. Jesus is working. Therefore, the ascension of Jesus into heaven did not mark the end, but it was the continuation of his work as Lord and Messiah. He is still at work. Jesus is still working. So with that fleshed out a bit, maybe that confused you a little more. I don't know. Hopefully it didn't. But I want us to dive in and focus on three truths concerning the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God. The first is going to be the most obvious of them all, which is this. The first truth is Christ ascended to the right hand. Christ ascended to the right hand. We read that, just read it in Acts 1, 9. He was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. In 1 Peter 3, 22, we read that Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is, as at, is at the right hand of God, or as we just read in the creed, he ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. And I know in my mind, and my mind different from yours, and you can praise God for that, but in my mind, when I have thought in the past about Jesus at the right hand of God, the picture that I normally get is God at center stage sitting on this big, huge um, throne, and then to his right, in a smaller throne, sits Jesus, and that has been, that was kind of, in the past, was my, was my picture. Yet, think about this. Because God is spirit, God doesn't have a right hand. So, let me just blow your minds. God is spirit. God doesn't have eyes. He doesn't have ears. He doesn't have hands. The reason the scripture kind of it's called an anthropomorphism. Say that three times fast. It's a picture of giving something that doesn't have um, something that we can understand. So God, all throughout Scripture, um, relates to us in terms that we can understand, that we can kind of somewhat get our minds around. Yet, as God is spirit, he doesn't have a right hand. So there has to be more to it when the Bible tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God. And get this. There is more to it. For all throughout Scripture, the right hand represents power and represents authority. So the point is, 
If Jesus is at the right hand of God, it means that Jesus is in the greatest position in the whole universe. He is in a place of power. He is in a place of authority. It proves his declaration in Matthew 28 when Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he received what had never been his before as God-man. Now, as God, he had, he had glory. In, in John 17, he prayed to the Father, May you restore to me the glory that was mine. But as the God-man, he was receiving what had never been his as the God-man, as the one who united God and humanity together. So in the ascension of Christ, in a physical form, in a physically resurrected body, Jesus assumes his rightful place. And follow with me here. As long as Jesus stayed on earth, so as, as long as Jesus was here, he was bound by the limitations of time and space that we're bound with. He could only be in one place at one time. If you wanted an audience with Jesus while he was on this earth, you had to go to where he was. So that was kind of the way it worked. You had to go to where he was. But now that Jesus has gone back into heaven, his words have literally come true. When Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, Behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. What it means is this. Because Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down. And because the Holy Spirit came down, Jesus is with us always. I don't know if we get that. How good it is for us to know that although Jesus is in heaven, he has not left us. Through the Holy Spirit, He's with us. When we stumble, brothers and sisters, He's there. When we fall, He's there. When we can't feel His presence, He's there. When we think He has left us, He is there. When we doubt Him, He's there. When we forget Him, He's there. When we give in to temptation, He is there. And when we need Him most, He is always there. But that can only be true because he ascended to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit to us. So just think about this. Christ ascended to the right hand, a place of power and authority, and sent his Holy Spirit to us. And let me just add one more thing here. Just as the resurrection has profound implications for our lives, so does the ascension of Christ. It has amazingly profound or, or implications for us. And what it means is this. Christ going up to heaven foreshadows that one day we will also in bodies, resurrected bodies, we will go up to heaven where he is. In fact, think about 1 Thessalonians 4. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Or in the words of John 14, where he is, there we will be also. Those are amazing implications for us. So Christ ascended to the right hand. And the second truth is this. The second truth is Christ sits at the right hand. So Christ sits down at the right hand. Think about Mark 16. It tells this picture of the ascension. It says, The Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And let me ask some of you to just be honest. We're going to have a little, a little short little confession time in church. How many of you have ever been on an airplane? And of course, um, if you're like me, I always sit on the back of the plane for a couple different reasons. Number one, I'm cheap. 
And number two, I've never heard of a plane backing into a mountain. So that's kind of my other situation. Um, but, you know, how many have ever been on a plane and they make you go last? And, of course, you have to walk through first class and you have to see all these people sitting in comfort. And you've been a little jealous of them. Anybody? So a, a few of us would say, I mean, every time we go to India and think about 10 or 11 hour flight and we walk up front and see these people, you know, with their, their mask on, they're laid out. I'm like, Really? really and and then we go sit in our cramped little place but just think about it in our minds besides being a captain um that would be the best seat in the house and of course if we were a captain that would be probably a bad seat for us to be in or think about this what's the best seat you've ever had whether it be at a concert a sporting event or maybe even on a plane and think about how cool or powerful that made you feel you know, sitting right up beside the action or sitting in first class or whatever. It makes you feel cool or makes you feel powerful in that moment. And then think about this. Jesus has the greatest seat in the universe. It's a seat of power and authority. In fact, the phrase seated at the right hand of God is a phrase that the Bible reserves for Jesus only. It, it's mentioned 11 times. So 11 times we're told that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Four other times we're told that Jesus is at the right hand of God. And then one time we're told that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God, welcoming Stephen um, into heaven. Yet the ultimate picture is Jesus is seated in a place of power and authority. And follow with me here. When Jesus returned to heaven, Jesus did not have to search for a seat. When Jesus returned to heaven, they didn't say, um, how many is in your party, sir? One. It's about a 30-minute wait. We're preparing your seat now and your table, and we'll call your name. Here's your buzzer, and we'll let you know um, when your time is, is ready. That is not the picture here. When Jesus went up to heaven, there was a seat with his name on it waiting for him, and it's his seat forever. It's his seat forever based on who he is and based on what he has accomplished. It is his, and he has sat down. In fact, I have on the screen um, Hebrews 10, but let me just read Hebrews 10, 11 for you, and then read 12 to kind of put it together. Because it, it talks about the difference between earthly priest and Jesus as the great high priest. So Hebrews 10, 11 says, And every priest... That's earthly priest, stands daily at his service, offering repeated, repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But then verse 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And don't miss the posture here. Don't, don't miss this between Jesus and every other priest. The earthly priest would go into the presence of God, would go into the, the holy place. They would fulfill their task, and they would get out as soon as possible because they wanted to live. So that was their thought. Get in, do my job, and get out as quick as possible. But Jesus walks into the presence of God, and he sits down. The earthly priest didn't sit, sit down. In fact, there's not a chair mentioned in the holy place. Yet when Jesus walks into the most holy place... In heaven, he pulls up a chair and he sits down. Why? What, what does it mean? What, what are we saying here? Here's what we're saying. The work that brings us salvation, the work that brings us forgiveness has been finished. When Jesus said it is finished, 
guess what? He meant it. He meant it. It is finished. The work for our salvation is done. When Christ sits down at the right hand of the Father, it is work that it is proof that redemption has been accomplished. Praise God that He sat down. Shows us He has earned for us what we could never earn for ourselves. He sat down. But think about this. But what does it really mean for us? What does it really mean that He sat down? And here's what it means. That the victim has become the victor. It means that the crown of thorns has been replaced with an eternal crown of glory. It means that the spear that pierced his side was, has been replaced with a royal scepter. And being seated at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ is now receiving what he truly deserves. Jesus is now receiving what he truly deserves. Don't miss this. Don't just gloss over this. Think about this, brothers and sisters. Jesus did not deserve betrayal. He did not deserve mocking. He did not deserve humiliation. He did not deserve shame. He did not deserve beating and scourging. He did not deserve the hammer and the nails. He did not deserve the criminal's death. And he did not deserve the wrath of God. We deserve it. He did not deserve any of it. But because he is who he is and because he has done what he has done, at last he receives what he deserves, glory, honor, and praise. They are his and they are his alone. And he sits down. His work of redemption is done. You know, most religious prophets have come to the earth with instructions about what people must do in order to find peace with God. And maybe if they do enough, they will end up in the presence of God. But what we know is that Jesus offered himself once and for all, one sacrifice. Jesus did with one sacrifice what millions of animal sacrifices could not do. Appease God. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father because there's nothing left to do for our salvation. It is finished. May we continue to rejoice in that. Christ sits at the right hand. And then the last truth is this. Christ prays at the right hand. So what we know is that Christ came down from heaven for one reason and one reason only is to do God's will by giving his life as a ransom for many. And once that was accomplished, his main work was done. He spent 40 days on the earth with his followers and then he ascended to heaven. And here's what we think about this. We often hear about what Jesus has done and we often hear about what Jesus is going to do. But guess what gets lost and guess what often gets left out? What Jesus is doing right now. So think about this. If we were to ask before today, before just, I just laid this truth before you, if I were to ask you what Christ is doing right now, what would you say? And some of us would say, he's sitting down because you just said he's sitting down. But what is Christ doing? And here's the beautiful thing. The answer should thrill us. The answer should give us so much hope because right now, at this very moment, Jesus, our great high priest, our savior, get this, is praying for us he's praying for you and he's praying for me even before we ask he knows what we need the word intercede means to speak on behalf of someone else and Christ right this minute is speaking up for us what a marvelous thought brothers I don't know if you understand this 
When we are down in the dumps, Jesus is praying for us. When we falter in our faith, Jesus prays for us. When our faith gives way, Jesus prays for us. When we give in to temptation yet again, Jesus prays for us. In fact, when we walk through spiritual victory and yet we lessen in our attentiveness to him, instead of increase, Jesus prays for us. And it even gets better because oftentimes when we're asked to pray for someone and we can't seem to find the words and it seems like our prayers are in vain, the beautiful thing is this. Jesus comes alongside of our prayers and he takes our pitiful and our puny prayers and he transforms them into powerful petitions before his father. That should thrill us. That should thrill us to think about that picture. When I can't pray, when the words don't seem to come, Jesus prays for me. And he prays for you. He knows our needs. He knows our heartaches. He knows our temptations. He knows our doubts. And he is praying for us. No matter what we face, he continues to pray for us. Listen to Romans 8.34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Right this moment, Jesus is praying for you. The things that you refuse to confess to other people, the things that you're dealing with, the, the failures that you refuse to deal with, Jesus in this moment is praying even for those and then think about hebrews 7 25 hebrews 7 25 tells us that christ is able to save to the uttermost those who come to god through him but then it says this jesus always lives to make intercession for them or meaning this jesus lives to pray for you and jesus lives to pray for me pled your case yesterday he is interceding for us today and he will represent us tomorrow this is the beautiful picture of who he is and what he is doing when you kneel down before God in prayer the savior has already called out to God on your behalf that doesn't lessen what we do that doesn't say okay then we shouldn't pray at all no that gives us power that gives us confidence to come into the presence of God for our savior is praying for us on our behalf in fact one of my favorite quotes Robert Murray McShane I'm going to put we're going to put it on the screen he says this if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. I don't know who came for this holy moment right now, but the truth is, what is Jesus doing? He's praying for you. Distance might seem sometimes to, to mess up our vision or make us forget. But the picture is, at this moment, Jesus is praying for us. He has completed his Father's mission. He now rules in heaven with all authority in heaven and on earth. And now he is not just ruling with authority. He is also interceding for us with sympathy, meaning he cares for us. 
cares for you. So therefore, in our worst moments, trust that Jesus is personal. He's the high priest who understands our weaknesses, for he was in all points tempted, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what we're facing. He knows. In fact, Jesus knows what it means to endure temptation, and even more than we'll ever know, because we give in, he never gave in. Meaning he endured the full portion of temptation, and he never broke. He understands. Trust that. And then believe that Jesus is extremely powerful. As the ascended king, he is, has power, authority in heaven and on earth over all things. And then know this, that because Christ is ascended, it guarantees that we are forgiven and that we have a place in the presence of God. We have a place in his presence. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we have done it doesn't matter what we have been doesn't matter how flawed and foolish we are let me just say this for those of us who are found in christ when the eyes of god the father look at us they see us through what christ has done for us meaning when god and i'm using anthropomorphic speech so when god's eyes look at us what they are doing is they are seeing us covered in what Christ has done for us. In fact, let me, let me take it a step further. So when God's eyes see me, they see Jesus. When God's ears hear me, they hear Jesus. When God's ears hear me pray, they hear Jesus praying for me. And they hear him praying for you. When God looks at us, when God listens to us, he sees and hears the infinite beauty of Christ, who is our hope, who is our life, who is our treasure, who is our ascended one. There is hope for us, brothers and sisters, because Christ ascended to the right hand of God, because he took his seat, and because he is praying for us. Oh, that we would press into that. Oh, that we would let that just wash over us today. Christ is praying for you. Don't miss that for a moment. Don't miss that. I'm going to ask you to stand as we are about to enter into a time of invitation and, and a consecration where we say whatever it is that God is saying to you, that you would do it. But today is a day that we think about. Jesus ascended to us, and one day he will come again. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for Christ to come again? Will we be with him always when he comes again? Have we, have we entered into the presence of God through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life? Do we see that? Do we recognize who he is? And then second of all, do we understand that Jesus is praying for us? Do we understand the hope, the peace, the strength, the encouragement that that is meant to give to us, that we have not been... Um, we have not been uh, misguided or we have not been left without an answer to the question, what is Jesus doing right now? We have the answer. He's praying for us. And here's the beautiful thing. What Jesus prays for gets answered because he always prays inside the will of the Father. So that's beautiful hope for us that Jesus is praying for us and what he is praying is the will of God and it will be accomplished and that is our hope both now and that is our hope forever let's pray together father we we thank you as we sang just a 
few moments before the message, you, Jesus, you are Lord. You have risen from the dead and you are Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will one day have to confess, Jesus, that you are Lord. And the sad reality is that for many of those, it will be too late. That they have rejected you in this life, that they have died apart from you, but yet they will still have to acknowledge, Jesus, you are Lord. God, I pray for anyone in this room or who will be in this room that has never trusted you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, I also pray that today you would do something on behalf of your children in this room that you would show us the significance of Jesus ascending into heaven, that it would no longer be just an afterthought, that we would see in in a glimpse of Jesus in a place of power and authority, sitting down because he accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves, Even more than that, his work continues. For he is building his church, but he is also praying for his own. And God, I pray that that would give us today the necessary encouragement. I pray that it would give us, Lord, the encouragement, the the hope, the, the strength that it should give to us. That we wouldn't miss out on that, God. That we wouldn't yawn our way through the picture of Jesus praying for us. But that would trigger something in us of confidence that we can come to the throne of God through Jesus. Knowing that even if we get it wrong, Jesus, you get it right. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that amazing picture. Or comfort us, we pray with that. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.